For Friday, March 27th, 2020, this is Did You Wash Your Hands? A podcast from WABE answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. This week, Congress passed a $2.2 trillion relief package aimed at blunting some of the economic pain caused by the coronavirus. The U.S. now has more cases than anywhere else in the world and in many ways is struggling to keep the pandemic under control. We should have had, I think, uh, a little more focus on the preparation for a serious pandemic like this. But I can assure you this time uh, it has people's attention. U.S. Senator David Perdue joins me for more on the relief bill and what he thinks we can learn from the U.S. response to COVID-19. That's next. You love free. And at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. Direct payments to individuals, expanded unemployment coverage, loans, grants, and tax breaks to businesses, and a monetary shot in the arm for the U.S. healthcare system. Those are just a few of the pieces of a record-setting $2.2 trillion coronavirus relief package that passed out of Congress this week. David Perdue was one of the U.S. senators who backed the measure, which received unanimous support. And he joins me now by phone to dig a bit more into what exactly is in the bill. Senator David Perdue, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk with me today. Well, Sam, thanks for the invitation. So I want to start just by talking about some of the numbers. This relief package is going to come in at at least $2 trillion. You've been quoted as saying the single greatest threat to our national security is our national debt. So how do you square that statement with, with voting for such an expensive relief package? First of all, this is not $2 trillion of new debt. The vast majority of this is uh, loan guarantees to help businesses, small and large, get through this. Now, there are some monies in there where we beefed up Social Security unemployment to make sure people who have already been laid off, there's there's plenty of money in there to take care of that. So, yes, there's some debt in here. I just don't think we've got a choice, but it's not $2 trillion of debt. Sure. And do you have any sense of what the final price tag is, is going to be at this point then? Well, the $2 trillion number is right, but uh, in terms of the money that's made available of that, there are probably less than 400 to 500 billion dollars that would uh, be added to debt. Now, remember though, this bill is intended to get the to protect the economy. Look, we don't want to kill the economy while we kill this virus. At the same time, we have to allow uh, for the time it takes to work through this. We've seen other countries. There's a cycle. They come in and they add, you know, thousands of new cases a day, and all of a sudden, then it hits a peak, it levels off, and then they start to decline because they're doing the right things to try to control it. We're still on the up 
uptick of that, and we're still adding new cases every day, but countries like South Korea, China, and Japan have actually started reducing their number of new active cases per day. The Senate, of course, has been meeting the last few days, but there are questions about the viability of that if this virus continues to spread. How does the Senate continue regular business if this drags on? Um, what if it becomes unsafe for senators to meet? Is, is it time for remote voting? We're supposed to go back after Easter. I, I fully expect that we will. And again, if you look at other countries, there is a, a cycle, and I, and I think we will adhere to that cycle, too that at some point we're going to go back to work. I'm trying to find, help us find a balance as we start to come out of the vi- out of this crisis uh, that the economy comes back at, at, at a time that uh, allows people to actually go back to work when we no longer need to be uh, isolated. You mentioned other countries and, and their response. You know, certainly China, South Korea are two countries that as of late, their new cases are going down and there's this question, should they open their societies back up? These are also countries that have much more active and, and comprehensive testing regimes um, where they have been able to accurately paint a picture of what this situation looks like on the ground there. That's certainly something that we don't have here in the U.S. How can we even talk about opening up the country again if we still don't have a clear picture of, of how bad this situation is? We don't know what the denominator is. We don't know how many people have it. And you call out the, the, the number one thing that uh, the administration is trying to do right now is to try to beef up our testing. I mean, we have the supply chains working now. We had limitations on the test packages, on the reagents, on the swabs, on the, and the machines. But we have, we have hospitals now in Georgia working together to make sure that anybody that, that needs to be tested is getting tested. Frankly, that's not the reality here in Georgia. The governor, state public health officials have said, we don't have enough tests. We don't have the capacity to test everyone who might want to test, even people who might be mildly symptomatic. So what do you make of that then? Well, Sam, there is a shortage. There's no question I said that before. Uh, I didn't mean to say that anybody who wants a test uh, can go out and get a test. We're not at that point yet. The, the point here is that we need a lot more testing capacity. There's no doubt about that. And everybody that's involved in that is, is in the full court press right now. I was on the phone all day yesterday trying to help people find supply chain and, and uh, masks and swabs and things like that. So, uh, like I said, I, I think there are, uh, there are changes coming. There are a lot more numbers, uh, that you'll see coming. For example, a guy in South Georgia has converted this factory to make masks now. And so, um, this is this is right here before us. We certainly don't know what the future is. We don't know how long this virus is going to you know, keep us in our homes. How do you think about the future? Is there another two trillion dollar relief package in, in, that, that we can put together? Could you have the stomach for that? I don't think so at this point. I mean, there's too much le- leverage in there for larger corporations. I mean, we may have to tweak some things if unemployment uh, drags on and, and that sort of thing. But I really think that this is intended to get us through this gap, uh, to bridge this crisis and get us back to work. Now, if this drags on and on and on, and we and our numbers are, are totally uh, different than any other country that's gone through the cycle, then we'll have to review that at that time, Sam. I look at this crisis this way. You have a medical crisis and you have an economic crisis that's caused by the medical crisis. Then, if you're gonna treat those crises together, which you have to do, you treat them in three phases. One is in the mobilization phase, which is what we're in now. You mobilize, you get your testing going, you get all this stuff up. And we're kind of late getting there uh, relative to what some of these other countries were able to do. But we're catching up very fast. The second phase is a transition phase where you've got to find a balance between isolating geographically and demographically. People were at risk and in these hot spots, just like we did with Ebola and other diseases. And you, you get ready for the economy to come back. 
And then the third phase is full-on mobilization, where we get the economy going again. And let me tell you, this thing's going to pop back when it, when uh, when we get through this virus, and we will get through it. We kind of reached a milestone this week. The U.S. now has more COVID-19 cases than any country, including China, where this outbreak started. And you don't have to look far to see reports of doctors not having enough PPE, hospitals not having enough beds. Were we prepared enough for this as a country? No, absolutely not. I think that's one of the big learnings, Sam. You've you called it out yourself, and I think this is what we've all got to come to grips with. Just the, the equipment and paraphernalia you need to treat patients in hospitals what is a contingency plan when we we uh, exceed the capacity of our beds? How do we work from hospital to hospital and company to company? How do we work our supply chain? I think the real realization here as well is our supply chain for these medical supplies needs to be reviewed. Some of these are strategic supply chains, and we've never treated them that way. Who does this responsibility fall on then for, for our lack of preparedness, do you think? Well, I think we all do. I think every, you know, all of us. I mean, certainly... People in government, uh, people in uh, the departments that have the responsibility. This goes back years. Uh, you know, if you look at some of the things that uh, we dealt with over the last decade, we should have had, I think, uh, a little more focus on the preparation for a serious pandemic like this. But I can assure you this time, uh, it has people's attention. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. Special thanks to Lauren Booker, Rebecca Smith, Megan Smith, John Haas, and Ankita Ackroyd Isalis. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can send us news tips, comments, and questions at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now's the time. Go on and wash those hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. Have you donated to WABE yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wabe.org donate and become a member right now. And thank you.